Thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. Romans chapter 8, if you will, stand with me for the reading of the Word. And we're going to read from verse 14 to verse 17. Scripture says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of the word, for the word that will be preached, and I pray, Lord, that you'll give us the anointing, uh, me as, as the one bringing forth the word to declare the goodness and the greatness of God in power and truth with authority. And all of us, Lord, the anointing of ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to understand what you're saying to us this morning. Lord, we don't need more information. We need transformation, dear Heavenly Father. And God, I ask in Jesus' name that you'll do that divine work as the Holy Spirit brings the word to life this morning so that we will leave here different than we came. And Lord, to you be all praise and honor and glory in advance for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It doesn't take very long to realize that the world is in a mess. With a bit of discernment, we come to understand that it's not just a random mess. Today's problems have not just haphazardly emerged, but they have been handcrafted by one who hates us and who hates the God who created us, hates, hates him with all of his heart. And we look at the issues that are consistently and incessantly bombarding us. Now, I stopped watching the news about three years ago. I still try to tune in once a day on the radio just to keep in touch what's happening. But I don't watch because I don't like to be so frustrated or discouraged, but also because it's just the same thing over and over and over and over. Turn on the news this morning, and you'd think you were listening to the news of January chapter 9th of last year or the year before. It's the same old stuff. And it shouldn't surprise us because it's orchestrated by an enemy who hates us. Consider the issues that bombard us. Consider politics. Are you left or right? Left or far left? Moderate, conservative, blue or red, Republican, Democrat, something else? The divisions grow deeper and the gaps wider 
our loyalties become stronger, our voices louder, our anger sharper. And in the midst of all of the wrangling, we forget that this world is not our home. We forget that for those who are in Christ, we are citizens, first and foremost, of another land. Consider the issues of ethnicity. And I carefully chose the word ethnicity this morning rather than race because much of the turmoil of the day is crafted to obscure an important reality. Ultimately, there's only one race, and it is the human race. Now, I value culture. I value heritage. I'm thankful for my heritage as as a Virginian whose roots are down in Louisiana. I I enjoy reading the work of some of my relatives that have, have looked into ancestry and have traced our family back to England. I honor the culture of my wife, who's from Southeast Asia. I'm thankful to have children who have feet in two different worlds, so to speak. But the reality is, we're no different than any of the rest of you when it comes right down to this. God knit us together in the wombs of our mothers. God placed us exactly where he wanted us in our families, in this time in history, in our various cultures, for his purposes, ultimately for his glory. He made us to look like we look. He clothed us in the color of skin that he gave us. He handcrafted our circumstances for his purposes so that his glory be revealed in us and through us regardless of family, regardless of background, ethnicity, language, culture, personal challenges, or even societal unfairness and discrimination. And these are real things, and they should concern us. But if it were possible to fold back the heavenly archives, we would remember that every one of us is part of the same family tree, tracing our way all the way back to Adam and Eve through the family of Noah. We have an enemy that wants to obscure the truths of Scripture. Consider identity. LGBTQ, binary, non-binary, he, she, they, X. And, and that's, that's not the end of the list. There's more to come. There's more to come. More categories that will emerge in the coming days and months as more people reject the identity that was given them at birth by a good and gracious creator who never made a mistake. You see, in the struggle to redefine and renegotiate identity, what's lost? The marvelous truth that we are created in the image of God, that we bear his imprint, that his fingerprints are upon us, and that the enemy of our souls who sought to be like God hates us, Because in a very real way, we're like him. His image is on us. Consider economics. Daily we hear about the impending collapse of Social Security. We hold our breaths as we check what's happening on Wall Street. We we worry, is my retirement enough? Will there be a job for me at Walmart or Chick-fil-A? Or how will I ever get out from under these student loans or this mortgage or this credit card debt? And don't misunderstand. We do need to be concerned about the stewardship of our resources, 
But if we're not careful, the messages that are bombarding us today will cause us to forget that God is our provider. His care is obscured as we look to the government for another bailout, as we look to society for another handout, as we look to our employer for another whatever it is they provide, or we look to our own cleverness to sort out our needs and forget that God is our supplier, and he's faithful, and he promises, I will give you your daily bread. I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus your Lord. Amen. Consider history. History has value in teaching both the good things and the ugly things. Ecclesiastes 1.9 reminds us what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. You see, the, the beauty of the Bible is that it does not conceal the ugliness of history. Rather, it exposes it for what it is. And that's why Paul was able to write to the church at Corinth. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, when history is erased or reinterpreted or ignored or even celebrated in a self-serving, self-righteous, self-centered way, then the God of history, who sovereignly and providentially orchestrated all of it, is lost. We only see in part. But the grand history book is not yet closed. A good God is still writing page after page of what will prove to be a masterpiece of a marvelous story. We consider the pandemic. To mask or not to mask. Vaccine or no. Booster or no. I have no medical advice to give you this morning other than do what you think is best for your health, for the health of your loved ones, and for society around you. But have you stopped to think for a few minutes about the politicization of the pandemic and what it has done? It's brought fear into people's lives. It's brought judgmentalism into people's hearts. It's brought derision and hatred and even dehumanization, sometimes even within families and in the church. The two very institutions that were designed and ordained by God to show the glory of Christ to a surrounding world. Consider truth. Society says there's no such thing anymore. It will cry out. My truth is just as valid as yours, maybe even more so. But there still is an unchanging truth. The world is trying to hide it. Our enemy is trying to obscure it. But it is the truth of the word of God, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, friends, we're in a mess and it's an orchestrated mess which has left us feeling alone at times, 
angry, abandoned, confused, and hopeless. What a friend of mine recently described as, as an orphan spirit that is taking over the world. James Boyce, in his book, The Foundations of the Christian Faith, wrote these words. He said, just as the Father sent his Son to perform the objective, historical work of the atonement as the ground of our salvation, so also he sends the Holy Spirit to apply that manifold salvation to us personally. This is not one simple and indivisible act but rather it involves a series of acts and processes, God's calling, regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification. In each case, the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to us personally. Now, through the years, I've heard quite a bit of teaching and preaching on regeneration or what's more commonly called being born again on sanctification, or what we would maybe say walking in holiness, justification being made right with God, God's calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't hear quite as much on glorification when one day we will stand in those perfect bodies. Uh, the things of this world will, will, I don't even know if there'll be a memory anymore, because everything will be made right and new. But I hear even less preaching on the doctrine of adoption. But the Bible has a lot to say about it. Well, first of all, we consider what is the plight of the orphan. According to Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 14, the orphan is poor and destitute. The orphan is defenseless and unprotected. Psalm 94, 6 says, They slay the widow and the stranger, and they murder the, follow, the fatherless. There's a vulnerability in the orphan. The orphan, James 1.27 says, is afflicted and distressed. Malachi 3.5 is oppressed and mistreated. The orphan is isolated and alone, Psalm 68. Job 29.12, the orphan is without help. And you see, God does care about real, literal, fatherless children, real orphans. But these scriptures give us a picture of who we were if we're in Christ now. And if you're not in Christ, I've just biblically described you. You're an orphan, separated from our creator in the poverty of self, oppressed by the world, afflicted by our own flesh, mistreated by the one who seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy, utterly without hope until Christ came along and lifted us from the bondage of sin. That's the doctrine of adoption, where in Christ we are brought into a family, where in Christ we are made rich, though we were once poor, where in Christ, where we were once protected, we have one who walks with us, who surrounds us with his love, with his kindness, with his power, and says, I will never leave you nor forsake you.
Where once we were oppressed and mistreated, now we have an advocate on our side who looks out for us. Where once we were isolated and alone, now we have one who sticks as a friend closer than even a brother. The orphan was without help, but we have a helper. One who was given to walk beside us and to carry us when we need it. You see, that's the work of the Father. And in his work, we see his heart. It's not by accident that another cultural phenomenon is the denigration of fatherhood. You've, you've seen the comedy shows, the butt of every joke, the father, the dunce of every household, the father, the fool that never knows what's going on within the family, the father, it's designed to obscure the fact that we have a father who is a good father in whom there's no foolishness, no shadow of turning, no variableness. He's consistent. He's faithful. He's good. He's loving. He's kind. And we're on his side because he's for us. God the Father executes justice for the orphan according to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Justice, a word we're hearing a lot about. And most of the time, it begins with two other letters, I-N, injustice. There's going to be injustice for the rest of known history because the world is broken by sin and people are sinners and sinners do unjust things. But there is a day coming when God will step into the picture where he will take his visible seat on a throne and all will see, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and everything that is wrong right now will be made right because God's heart is for the orphan and he cares about issues of justice and he will execute perfect justice. Psalm 10 verse 14 reminds us that God hears and he helps the orphan. His eyes are on the helpless. It's, again, it's not by accident that the Bible is so rich, Old and New Testament, in his care for widows, his care for the fatherless, his care for the orphans. There's a special place in his heart for those who have been orphaned. And again, literally orphans, real orphans, real fatherless children. But beyond that, every one of us who was without hope. Another image of scripture is like sheep without a shepherd. Like people without a leader. Like a people without a king. Like a people without a Lord. And the scripture tells us that when he hears the cries of the orphan, that he comes to their rescue. Amen. Hosea 14, verse 3. God looks with mercy upon the orphan. Proverbs 23, 10. God redeems and defends the orphan. Psalm 146, verse 9. God supports the orphan. God is an adoptive father. It's what he's done for us. Psalm 68, verses 5 through 6, put it this way. A father of the fatherless 
and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound with chains. That's what he does. He cares about the fatherless, and he brings them into a family because the work that he does is the gospel work that brings us in. It's the outcome of the work of Christ on Calvary. So what are the privileges of adoption? And this is where I want to speak to you this morning. Again, if you're in Christ, this is who you are. This is what Christ has done for you. If you're not in Christ, the door's open to you. He says, enter in. Take my name and join the family. You see, regeneration or being born again is when God takes what was dead and makes it alive. Justification is when God declares what was unrighteous as righteous. In fact, he doesn't just declare it, he makes it righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. Adoption is when God takes what was estranged from him and brings it into his family with all of the rights and privileges thereof. Regeneration emphasizes new life. Justification emphasizes a new position or a new status or a new standing before God. And adoption emphasizes the new relationship to God and to others within the household of faith. John Murray put it this way. He said, justification means our acceptance with God as righteous and the bestowal of the title to everlasting life. Regeneration is the renewing of our hearts after the image of God. But these blessings in themselves, however precious they are, and they are precious, do not indicate what is conferred by the act of adoption. By adoption, the redeemed become sons, sons of the Lord God Almighty. They are introduced into and given the privileges of God's family. So what are those privileges? First of all, as sons of God, and forgive me for not saying sons and daughters of God, because we're talking theologically. Man or woman, if you're in Christ, you're a son of God. With the full, it's just like man or woman, you're part of the bride of Christ. There's symbolism. And as sons of God, we have the full scope of everything God has for us. Nothing is withheld from us. So we are free, first of all, from the bondage to the law, and we're free from fear. Let me read it again from Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. And you see, when we stand on that, when we hold that truth, we can break the bonds of fear that the enemy of our soul continues to bombard us with. 
We don't have to worry about what the pandemic may do or what the next variant will be. We don't have to worry about what our bank account says or what our employer might have to do. We can stand on the promises of God as sons of God that he will never leave us nor forsake us. You see, brothers and sisters, part of the benefit that we have as sons of God are we are assured of our new relationship with God. Romans 8, 15, and 16, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. John wrote it this way in John chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right there's the invitation. If you're on the outside looking in, put your trust in Christ and step across the threshold into the family of God. For those of you who are already in, what does this remind us? It reminds us that the Holy Spirit in us is the proof of adoption. We don't have to worry, am I in or out? There's a witness of the word and a witness of the spirit that tells us I am a son of God and I don't have to walk in fear. I don't have to walk in bondage of the law. And it also reminds us that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ himself. Romans 8, 17. And if we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, just like justification, adoption is a judicial act. It's a legal act. It's it's the bestowal of a new standing, a new status that allows familial relationship and that gives us kinship with God Almighty. When a person is justified, it's a legal declaration, you are now right with God. You stand innocent before God, though guilty. An exchange was made where the righteousness of Christ was credited to our account as our sin was credited to his account, and he took it to the cross to satisfy the anger, the wrath of God. And when that swap was made, something happened. And now, though we still wrestle with ourselves and with sin, from God's perspective, we've been made right. Legally, a change was made. And so it is with adoption. In ancient times a father would officially adopt even his own born son as a legal representative, as an heir. A Jewish, Greek, Roman child, when they came of age, this was an important moment before the child was a son by birth. But now through the legal action of adoption, a declaration that's made, it obtains all of the rights and privileges of inheritance for the family. And that brings us to the next benefit of adoption, that we have an inheritance which awaits us. And we're not told specifically what it's gonna look like. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 describes that inheritance as spiritual riches. Colossians 3.24 tells us it's a reward for faithful service. Hebrews 9.15 describes it as eternal and unfading. And then Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I don't know what it's going to be, what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to be mighty good. And I look forward to getting there and getting my part of it. And how do I know it's going to happen? Because the scripture has already told us that the Holy Spirit is our present guarantee of what we have to look forward to. The Holy Spirit in our life is our claim check. The Holy Spirit in our life is that part that's been set aside for us until we obtain the whole thing. There's something great for us on layaway. And the Holy Spirit's that receipt that gives us the right one day to go and claim it. That's not the only benefit, though. Yes, we're free from the bondage of fear and the slavery of the law. We are sons of God. We have an inheritance which awaits us, but we also have a big, blessed family. One of the consequences of the pandemic is to try to divide us, to isolate us, to separate us, to where we forget not only is God with us, but one another is with us. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's why there's no greater title within the church than brother and sister. Brother and sister. Because if we're in Christ's family, we are that. And it really is a relationship, a blood kinship. Because we've been bought and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Because of our status as sons of God, we have the privilege of prayer. It is adoption which allows us to call God Abba. That is the same expression used by Christ himself in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, when he called out to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a word that remains in its original form in many translations of Scripture. Abba was an Aramaic word. Some have said that it's like saying daddy. But, but whether it's daddy or not, it is a personal, relational word by which we can call God Father, by which we can stand with him and before him on the basis of relationship. There's only one exception. There's only one time in Scripture where Jesus called out to the Father and failed to call him Father. And that's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. That moment on the cross when he was made sin for mankind, maybe we could say when he became an orphan so that we could enter into the family. And he said, my God, my God, 
why hast thou forsaken me? It's because of adoption that Jesus said, you should pray like this when you pray, our Father, which art in heaven. Jesus was asked a question in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Rather, he asked the question. He said, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness and we will find help, according to Hebrews chapter 4. My, my children were little. I had to deal with some aggravation. And the aggravation was that when they wanted something, they go to mama. And not me, I, I don't, still don't understand the root of that. I, I don't think I was a harsh person. I think I'm a generous person, especially to my kids. But I finally had enough, and I called the family together, and I said, when you need something, you come to me. If it's something I can do, I'm going to do it. If it's something I can do that's not going to hurt you, I'm going to do it. I'm your dad. I love you. All you have to do is ask, and then trust me. Trust my judgment. How much more God himself, who really does know what's best for us, Amen. who really has everything that we need. He breaks the bondage of fear, those he brings into his household, breaks the slavery to the law, where following him and keeping his commandments is not a burden, but a delight. Marvelous expression of gratitude. He calls us by his name. He changes us. And one day, he's coming back for us. John chapter 14, verse 18, he told his disciples, he said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. And that word translated as comfortless is a Greek word, orphanos. Literally, as the contemporary English version translates it, he says, I won't leave you like orphans. I will come back to you. And you see, that statement followed his earlier statement where he said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherever, brothers and sisters, comfort one another with these words. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And I would put in parentheses the, the hope. And that word hope in Scripture doesn't mean maybe, might, perhaps, someday. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a guarantee word. It's a reality. Let us put on the hope of salvation. Adoption. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another also, even as also ye do. First John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 tell us. Think how much the Father loves us. He loves us so much that he lets us be called his children as we truly are. But since the people of this world did not know who Christ is, they don't know who we are. My dear friends, we are already God's children. Though what we will be hasn't yet been seen. But we do know that when Christ returns, we will be like him because we will see him as he truly is. We join with me in prayer. Musicians, you're welcome to come. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray if there's a single person in this house this morning that's still walking in confusion, hopeless, orphaned, that this would be the day that they put their trust in you and step across the threshold into your family to take that new position of authority that new position of relationship, that new position of security, that new position of hope to join this family of God. Lord, for all of us that have wrestled with this orphan spirit in the last few years with the mess, with the confusion, wondering about our identity, maybe hating where you've placed us in life and society, afraid of what tomorrow holds. Lord, help us to stand up again today and remember that you've given us a good name, that we bear the name of our Father with all of the rights, with all of the privileges, and with all of the authority thereof.
so that whatever the orchestrated mess of our enemy brings this year, we rise above it. And we declare, I'm a son of God. And Lord, I pray that as we pray, that you'll wrap the arms of a father around us. I know not everyone's had a good model of an earthly father. In this room, they're fatherless. It doesn't change the fact that you're a good father. And we don't measure you by what we've seen in our lives or in our society. But we measure what we see around us according to who you are. And you are absolutely perfect. Wonderful. And amazing. And kind and caring. Lord, help us to see that. And to hold fast to it. And to remember that you've not left us as orphans. No, we may not see you in every situation. In times we will wonder, where are you, Lord? Dad, where are you? That you promise that you're coming back. And you're going to get us. And you're going to take us to be with you where you are. Help us to hold on to that. When the storms rock us and life beats us up. Lord, I love you. Altars open this morning. You're welcome to come to spend time with the Lord. I hesitate to give if this, then that, if this, then that. So nobody feels pressured to either come or not. But I agree with what Mike said earlier. There's no magic that happens here. God can meet you right where you're at. But there is a biblical truth of an act of faith that God sees and God honors. So if you'd like to come this morning, you're welcome. The altar's open. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.